I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, page 725 in your pew Bibles. And before I read that passage, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, one, for any college students out there, or any of you that know college students, young adults that might be home at this time of year, we want to encourage them to join our college-age young adults Sunday school, which will begin this coming Sunday. So there's also a few other announcements in the bulletin related to that age group. I encourage you to take a look at that. And then also, we invite you to join us again this Wednesday evening, Christmas Eve. We have two services. One begins at 6, but the prelude will begin at 5.40. And then there's also the candlelight service that starts at 10. Prelude starts at 9.30. No nursery at that second service, but there is one at the earlier service. Luke chapter 2, I'll be reading verses 8 through 20. And if you are willing and able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Let us pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are with us now. We ask that you would glorify your name, that you would open our eyes to see the beauty of your word, that we would receive it with meekness for the salvation of our souls. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Most of you are familiar with the good news, bad news jokes. You know where the bad news always comes last and it's always worse, much worse than the good news. In fact, so much worse that it reinterprets the good news. It almost makes the good news bad itself. Came across a couple examples this week uh, related to maybe church life. So, for example, somebody might come up to me a youth pastor, and say, Hey, Troy, I heard the good news. The youth group showed up at your, at your house for a surprise visit to express their appreciation. Oh, but did you hear the bad news? It was in the middle of the night, and they were armed with toilet paper and shaving cream to decorate your house. Or maybe the one the pastor heard. Now, this would never be said here at our church, but one pastor heard the good news, bad news. Hey, pastor, I heard the good news. Attendance at your church has increased dramatically the last three weeks. The only bad news is you are on vacation. 
And Michael's not here to defend himself, but that would not happen here. But what I want us to see tonight, in all seriousness, is that the message of Christmas, the message that the angel delivers in Luke chapter 2 does exactly the opposite. It turns the pattern of those jokes around. You see, in the message of Christmas, the good news far outweighs the bad news for those who will embrace it, for those who believe it. The message of Christmas is really simply the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. The message of Christmas, this good news of great joy is this. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, you might ask, why? Why is that such good news? And there are many different ways that we could answer that question. But as I read this passage, I could not get past verse 14. And what is verse 14? Verse 14 is amazing. In verse 14, what we have is the commentary of the host of angels... Earlier, we have the message delivered by one angel. But now in verse 14, it's literally thousands of angels filling the sky, offering their commentary on what has happened. And they say, glory to God in the highest. God deserves the highest praise. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. What makes this so Incredible! What makes this good news of great joy so amazing? Well, the first thing that we notice in verse 14, what makes it so incredible is who this good news of great joy is for. Let's just pay close attention to the few words that are said here in that second phrase, especially of verse 14. The angels declare on earth, peace to men. Peace to men. Now that word is not referring to adult males only. It's a general word that refers to all of mankind, men and women, boys and girls. But here's where we need to understand the bad news first. How we view the good news, the message of the gospel, the message of Christmas depends a great deal on how we view our own condition apart from Jesus Christ. It's kind of like this. Imagine two different scenarios of somebody going to the doctor. In the first scenario, you have a middle-aged man or woman, and and they are the picture of perfect health, exercising regularly every week, eating healthily. And every year, they go to the doctor. They've never been sick a day in their life. Uh, They still can fit into all their clothes from high school. They still can compete in athletics with the high school kids. And so they go to the doctor for their annual exam, and the doctor comes back and says, I have good news. You're in great health. And what are they going to do on their way home? Are they going to call up their friends and say, hey, great news, I'm in good health? No. They already know that about themselves. They already believe that about themselves. In fact, they might call up their friends and say, I just wasted a bunch of money again. The doctor told me what I already know about myself. But imagine a very different scenario. Imagine a middle-aged man or woman whose body has been racked with cancer and goes to every part of their body every bone, every tissue, every organ, and the doctors have done everything they can. Every chemotherapy treatment, every radiation treatment, every experimental treatment, and nothing has worked. And they've said to this man or woman, I'm so sorry, 
There's nothing more we can do. We see that you have maybe two weeks left at the most. We just want to send you home to be with your family to die. Imagine that person getting a call from the doctor two weeks later saying, we have incredible news. We can't explain it, but your latest test comes back and all the cancer is gone. There's not a trace of it. You are healthy now. What is that person going to do? They will call up their friends and say, I have great news. I had a sentence of death, but now I have a sentence of life. See, what makes this good news of great joy so incredible is who it comes to. We are that second person. This is what God's word says about us, all of mankind, all men, all women, all boys, all girls. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Isaiah 64, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Romans 3, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is no one who seeks for God. Ephesians 2 describes us as being dead in our trespasses and sins. By nature, objects of God's wrath. But you know, it's not just what God's word says about us. It's what God also knows about us. In Hebrews 4, we read, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The all-knowing, the all-seeing God knows everything about us, everything we do in public and private, every word we say or mutter, every thought that we think, he knows it and sees it all. And it confirms the truth of what God's word says. We are guilty before God. We are dead in our sin. We know that apart from Christ, the words that we should hear are these, Depart from me, you evildoers, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, to eternal damnation, because we know that our deeds are not well done, but that they are stained with sin. They are prone to depravity. And this is what makes the angels' commentary so amazing. Because it comes to people like this, people like you, and people like me. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. How can this be? How can sinful humanity, where every one of us deserves the wrath of God, how can we be so blessed... That instead of fearing God's judgment, which we deserve, instead we can rejoice in the good news of great joy and the favor of God. Let's take a minute just to reflect on what had to happen in order for this to be made possible. For not only will this magnify the greatness of God, but it will help us see what makes this good news of great joy so amazingly good. What had to happen in order to make that possible. Now, I can't imagine 
what it would have been like to be Lazarus. You know the story in the Bible. Lazarus had his sisters Martha and Mary and he died. And then Jesus came and raised him back to life. Can you imagine being Lazarus? After that happened, was there ever a person that Lazarus talked to that did not hear his story? You can imagine. Imagine if I was friends with Lazarus in that day. And I was introducing him to somebody new. And I said, hey Lazarus, this is my friend Peter. Peter, I'd like you to meet Lazarus. Lazarus say, hey Peter, nice to meet you. Hey Peter, I was dead. What? I was dead. What do you mean? You're not dead now? I know. And I wasn't just dead. I was dead four days. Do you know who Jesus is? Let me tell you about Jesus. You need to know Jesus because Jesus is the one who has the power to take you when you are dead and make you alive again. And you know what that's saying about Jesus? It's saying he is not just a man. He is God himself imagine what it would have been like to talk to Lazarus after that happened. You know, Paul Rogers, one of the elders here at the church, and Mark Cook, another elder, and some other uh, men, members of our church, they have been leading the singing for our youth group for years now. And this year they came up with a new name for their group, and it's a a great name. Three simple words, dead, made, alive. Dead, made, alive. And Paul was talking about this at youth group one night. And he said he just wants to have shirts made up that say, just call me Lazarus. And then people will see it and ask him what it's about and provide an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. But you need to know this. There is a profound difference in what Jesus had to do to raise Lazarus back to life. And what he had to do to raise you and me back to life. A profound difference. For Lazarus, it was easy. What did Jesus do? He spoke, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus was alive again. But it is not so easy for you and for me. What did Jesus have to do? He had to leave the glory of heaven and be born as a humble baby and become a man and live a perfect life. Never sin. Never once sin. And then go to the cross and bear the wrath of God in your place, in my place. He had to die, to suffer and die on the cross. In order for you and I to be raised to life. A profound difference. On the cross, Jesus Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In some way that we cannot fully understand, that we will never identify with, Jesus was being cut off from the favor of God. God's favor had rested on him from all eternity. They had known perfect, unbroken fellowship. And yet now, Jesus is taking the wrath of God for us. He's taking our hell. So we can know God. So we can have God. So we can have his favor instead of his wrath. So we can have eternal life. He was experiencing this God-forsakenness. Not for anything in him 
but for the sin in us, for our sins. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. First John chapter 4 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is not a word that we use every day. But it is an important and powerful word. It simply means means this, that Jesus Christ was the sacrifice that bore God's wrath and turned it to our favor. So do you understand this? If you have trusted in Christ, the penalty for each and every one of your sins has been paid for by Christ. The wrath of God against your sin that you have earned, that you deserve, has been poured out on Jesus. It's been borne by him. The guilt of our sin was charged to our Savior. He was made sin for us. He took our guilt and suffered the punishment of our sins. Jesus exhausted the wrath of God for you, for me. He bore the full brunt of it. God's wrath was unleashed in all his fury upon the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Nothing was held back. This is what had to happen in order for the angels to be able to say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. The message of Christmas, the message of the gospel, is incredible good news of incredibly great joy because of what Jesus Christ did in magnifying the greatness of God and revealing his glory to make it possible. So what is it that Christ has made possible? No, it is incomprehensible to me that these words are in the Bible. Verse 14. I believe them. They are truth. They are my joy. They are my life. But it is incomprehensible that they are there. And I think there are hundreds of words like this in God's word that we hear over and over again, that we read, and we don't stop to think about what they mean and what they involve. But listen to this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men. Peace where there should be wrath. Life where there should be death. What is this peace? This peace with God is not just a subjective feeling. It's an objective reality that has been bought for us with the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We are no longer His enemies. We are no longer under his wrath. We no longer have to fear his judgment or his wrath or his anger. There's no barrier between us anymore. There is no barrier between sinful man and a holy God because Christ 
has removed it. We have been justified. We've been declared righteous by God because of what Christ has done once for all. You know, this peace with God, it's more than just the absence of conflict. More than just the removal of wrath. What the angels are speaking of is more than that. It also points to this notion of positive blessing. Not only is God's wrath removed, but now his favor is on us. God's favor is on his children. Whereas before, apart from Christ, all of God's wrath rested on us. Now, because of Christ, all that God is for good rests upon us. This is the argument that Paul was making in Romans chapter 8 when he said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also along with him freely give us all things? The favor of God. The good intentions of God. More than that, the will of God is on you for your good. It is on God's children. Do you understand what this means? This means that the God who is in control of all things, the God who reigns over everything, his favor is on you. This means that whatever comes into your life, if you are trusting in Christ, whatever comes into your life, it is under the rule and the reign of the God who loves you, who gave his son for you, whose favor is on you. Think about who this God is. The God whose favor is on you does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? The God whose favor is on you is a God whose mercies are new every morning. They never come to an end. He has a steadfast love that reaches to the heavens. This God This good and gracious God who has proved his love for you by giving his son to die for you. He is now tirelessly, all-powerfully, lovingly working all things according to his sovereign, almighty, good, and gracious will for your good and for his glory. And nothing can stop him. Nothing. This is true for all on whom his favor Rest. So if God's favor is on you, he is always loving you. Always. He is always seeking your good, working things for your good. He's always working for your glory. For his glory, excuse me. Now this does not mean that there will not be any suffering in your life. But what it does mean is that whatever bad news you are facing... Whatever bad news you might be enduring or suffering, it comes from the gracious hand of a God who loves you, whose favor is on you, who is seeking your good, who is working for his glory, and who has proved it by giving his son to die for you. So let me say this. No matter what you have suffered, no matter what you may be suffering right now, It is nothing compared to the suffering of eternal damnation in hell. 
And I do not say that to belittle anyone's suffering, for I know that it can be terrible, terribly painful and grievous. But I say this to try to help you comprehend the magnitude of the suffering and the evil of the hell that we all deserve. And not only that, but to help you grasp the magnitude of what Christ has borne for us. For also, whatever suffering or evil you have gone through or may be going through, Christ has suffered more. A million times more in bearing the weight of your sin that you deserve, that you should have paid for. Christ gave himself in your place and bore that suffering, that sin on the cross where he took the wrath of God so that we could experience the favor of God. That is why I simply cannot get past that phrase. On earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Those words should not be there. They are only there because unto us a Savior has been born. Now you be sure tonight, either God's wrath is resting on you, or his favor is resting on you. And the only way that God's favor can be resting on you is if you truly acknowledge your sin and turn to Christ. No one else can take God's wrath off of you. You cannot do it yourself. In John chapter 3, the same chapter that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. In that same chapter, at the end of that chapter, you read these words, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Those are terrible words. Please do not let that be true of you. You have an opportunity to turn to Christ and experience the favor of God instead of his wrath. Because of what Christ has done, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, you can have peace with God. His favor can rest on you. Whoever you are, God can help you. He can deliver you. He can save you. This is the message of Christmas. This is the message of the gospel. This is the good news of great joy that comes to us in Luke chapter 2. You can leave here tonight with God's favor resting on you because of Jesus, the Savior that was born that lived a perfect life, that died a substitutionary death, that rose again. No matter how bad you think you are, how great your sin, how much wrath you believe you are under, Christ has borne it so you do not have to. On the cross, he cried out, it is finished. God can save you. You can leave here with God's favor resting on you instead of your own condemnation. No matter how good you think you are. You may be here tonight thinking you don't need Jesus. You're a pretty good person and you may be in the world's eyes. But if you were good enough, there would be no Christmas. Christ would not have had to come. Do you think God would have sent his son to die if we could solve this problem on our own? 
God can save even you who don't think you need to be saved. He can change your mind and your heart so that you recognize your sin and your need. You can leave with God's favor resting on you instead of your own. No matter how much of a Christian you think you may be, you may have been coming to church all of your life, but never truly come to Christ, never trusted in Christ alone for your salvation. You may, trusting in, you may be trusting in your own good deeds to save you, to earn God's favor. God can save you tonight. You can leave here truly for the first time with God's favor resting on you. No matter what you think of Jesus right now, you may not believe in him. You may think he's only one of many ways to God. You may think he is just a man. God can save you right now. If that is what you are thinking, you are blind to the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. But the good news is God opens blind eyes. He does it every day. He's done it for me. He's probably done it for members of your family. And you can cry out like the blind men in the Bible, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he can open your eyes and you can leave with God's favor resting on you. No matter that you do not want to be saved, you may be here tonight rebelling against God. In your, your experience with God, you may hate God. You may have been burned by a church or by Christians in the past. And you may not want to have anything to do with God. God can save you. He can take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And you can leave with God's favor resting on you. No matter why you came tonight. Maybe you came to hear the handbells and the beautiful music. And it was indeed beautiful. But that's not why you're here tonight. You are here tonight because God planned for you to be here. And he planned for you to hear the word of God, both through the words of the songs that were played and also through the word of God that is being preached. And he calls you to respond to it. Let him who has ears to hear, hear the word of God and receive it with meekness for the salvation of your soul. God can save you, though you did not come to be saved. You just came to hear the music. You can leave with the favor of God resting upon you. Do you see how amazing, how glorious, how beautiful this description is of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Though we reject him, though we despise him, though we do not want him, though we choose other things over him, though we don't believe in him, though we don't think we need him, yet he came for us. He comes for us who reject him. And the angel says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angels cry out, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men where there should be wrath. Peace. Men on whom his favor rests. Do you see how good that is? We, I cannot describe how good that is. It is beyond my ability to describe it. It is beyond our ability to understand it. Tonight you will leave in one of two conditions. There are no other options. There are only two options. You will leave either with God's wrath resting on you or you will leave with the favor of the Almighty the good, the gracious, the loving God on you now 
and forever. May we all be able to do as the shepherds did. May we spread the word concerning Jesus. May we take the place of the angels and glorify and praise God for what we have heard of Jesus and cry out glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Amen. Let's pray.